So, what happens when you die? I mean, what happens when you reach the end game of life? You just kind of turn to dust and fade away, or what happens? You know, th- those, those questions are questions that most of us don't like talking about, but at the same time, most people are curious about. And so we thought, you know, let's take three weeks and let's talk about and try to give some answers to some of life's in-game questions. And so that's what we're doing for these three weeks. My name's Scott. I'm the pastor here at the bridge. And I'm so glad you guys are here for week two of our series. We started last week. And, and you know, when we think about the, the fact that there's such an uneasiness or a tension that comes up and we start talking about death and life after death. I think some of that tension and, and, and uneasiness really has to do with the fact that death is such a mystery. You know, it's, it's that great mystery beyond that we really don't know much about. And anything we don't know much about tends to raise, you know, our anxiety level when we think about it. And so we really just wanted to kind of pull back the veil a little bit and at least reveal some of the truth of what the scripture teaches about death and, and what happens after death. And I really believe there's power in knowing truth, at least for, you know, hopefully help you live a little bit less, with a little bit less fear in your life. And I really hope that live with, allow you to live with more freedom in your life. And we said that the uh, bottom line, the reason we're doing this series is because what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. Whatever you believe about eternity, it will have an impact on your life today. You might not be conscious of that. But it will. If you're here today and you say, I don't know that I believe really in eternity. I don't believe there's a God. I think I'm just kind of here just by coincidence, random chance, whatever. Um, There's not really anything beyond this life. We just cease to be when we die. I don't know about turning to dust, but we just cease to be. Um, So there's not much left after that. If that's where you are, what impacts how you live? You'll, You'll have a tendency to live more for yourself and more for this day and what I can squeeze out of life because there's nothing coming after this. It's just whatever I can get for myself today. At the same time, if you're a person that believes there is a God, that that God has created all of life with a sense of order and purpose and that he's created your life uh, with a purpose to bring him glory and and there's a greater purpose to your life, that there's an eternity and that everybody lives somewhere forever. If that's how you believe then that impacts the way you live your life every day. You know that this life's not all there is. You know that there's something else coming. And those thoughts, what we believe about eternity, really does impact the way we live our lives each day, whether we're conscious of that or not. And we started last week and we we basically gave three things that'll happen according to scripture at Life's Endgame. We said our physical bodies will die, but our soul will continue to live. And at some point we will face judgment. In fact, we looked at a a verse of scripture. It was Hebrews chapter nine in the New Testament, verse 27. It says, everyone must die once and after that be judged by God. That all of us have an appointment. (laughs) We all have an appointment to die at some point in the future. And whenever that happens, our physical bodies will die. Our soul will live on And at some point, we will be judged by God. And we talked about two specific judgments that are found in the scripture. There's one called the great white throne judgment. And it's primarily, most scholars would would say it's primarily for people who are not believers in Christ. 
and they will stand before the great white throne judgment and be judged uh, on the things that they did in their life. There's also a judgment seat of Christ and that's really for people who are believers and we will stand and give an account of our lives in Christ, how faithfully we lived. And what we talked about last week, kind of a principle throughout this, this series is this, belief determines destination but behavior determines experience. So what we believe will determine where we spend eternity. What we believe today determines where we go when we die, but how we live our lives will determine the experience we have when we're there. And we won't all experience the same thing. What you believe will determine where you go, how you act, how you live your life will determine the experience. Now, I grew up believing, you know, heaven was nice, hell was hot, and the judgment was really who's in, who's not, right? I mean, that's really what it came down to, right? Heaven was a good place. That's where you want to go. Hell is going to be hot. You don't want to go there. And so really judgment is in. You in, you out. Nope. Okay. Yeah. And that was it. But what I began discovering a few years back and what we would talk about in this series is that it's really not, it's really more to it than that. That, that our belief does determine where we spend eternity. Not what we do, our actions, our, our, how we live our life. That doesn't determine where we spend eternity. It's our belief. But our actions, the way we live our lives will determine the experience we have wherever we're spending eternity. We, we looked at this passage last week, but we'll bring it up again. Revelation, that's at the end of the New Testament, the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. And here's what it says. He says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books, plural, were opened, including the book of life, singular. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So it says a couple things here. It says that there were books that were brought out. So there's several books and these books contained deeds, how people lived their life, good, bad, faithful, not faithful, how they lived their life. But in the context of those books was a singular book called the book of life. And in the book of life, it's recorded whether or not your name is in that book of life. Say, so, well, how do you get your name recorded in the book of life? And scripture talks about that those who have received Jesus as their savior, those who have said, Jesus is the only source of my salvation. I trust in him completely for salvation. Their names are recorded in the book of life. And so when that book is being opened, those who have received Christ as their savior prior to death, their names are recorded and they will go to heaven. But if your name is not found in the book of life, that means that you didn't receive Christ while you're here on this earth and your name is not in that, you will be, gone, you will be thrown into a lake of fire. You will be going to hell for eternity. That's what the scripture teaches. But it's not just about, is my name in the book of life or not? There's another aspect of the judgment that happens. And then if your name is not found in the book of life, then you also judged according to your deeds. And while everyone's name is not going to be in the book of life, as much as 
I, or more specifically, God would want that to be, there will be people that will not receive Christ as their Savior. So not everyone's name will be recorded in the book of life. At the same time, everyone's name is recorded in the books of deeds, how we've lived our life. And those books will be brought out and they will determine what the experience will be like in whatever destination our belief will take us to, be it heaven or hell. And it won't be the same experience for everyone. Even as Christ followers, as if your name is recorded in the book of life, you'll then stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to talk more extensively about that next week on Mother's Day. Talk about heaven on Mother's Day. Today I want to talk about those who are not recorded in the book of life. And I want to talk about what the scripture says about the reality and the reason for hell. And really the, the judgment that will take place that will be a determining factor of what the experience is like for people going to hell. And, and the truth is, I don't like talking about hell. I don't look, you know, I don't enter January 1st of each year going, okay, where can I talk about hell this year? I, you know, that's not something fun to talk about. I'm sure it's not fun to listen to. Uh, in fact, surveys tell us that the you know, majority of Americans, we'll say 70 to 80%, depending on what the survey, what survey you look at, 70 80% believe there's a heaven. Less than half believe there's a hell. Over 90% of people believe that if there is a heaven, they're going to make it. Less than, way less than 10% think that they're going to be in hell. It just says, we love good news, we hate bad news. And I get it. I get it. But here's the truth, and here's you know, kind of what I want to put in front of you. If we don't accept the reality of hell, then we'll never really appreciate the significance of the gospel. If we don't accept the reality of what the scripture talks about as hell, then we'll never have this appreciation for what Jesus was willing to go through on our behalf. To provide us an alternative, to provide us a way to not experience hell. And so we've got to talk about it. The scripture talks about it. Jesus talked about it. And so we have to talk about it. And the common, the common view, and it, it was for me growing up, is that, that it doesn't matter how you lived your life. If your name's not the book of life, hell is hell. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, hell is hell. You don't want to go there. It's just hell, all right? But the truth is, according to Scripture, and we just read a passage a moment ago that said in Revelation how they will be judged according to their deeds. And we're going to look at some other passages that says that your experience there, for those who are not recording the book of life, the experience will be different for different people based on some variations, some various things that we're going to look at. And I want to give you the DNA of a person that goes to hell. The three things that they're going to be judged on primarily that would determine the experience they have while in hell. So the DNA of a person uh, going to hell. The D stands for, first of all, the degree of light. The degree of light. How much did you know? How much light did you receive? How much did you know and were at a place of understanding? You'll be held accountable for those things. And Jesus, he was talking to a group of people one day. 
And it was uh, some people that lived in these cities. And the majority of, of the ministry of Jesus was around the Sea of Galilee. It's up in the northern part of Israel. And the cities and the surrounding areas around Galilee is where he did most of his teaching, is where he did most of his miracles. And so he's addressing some of the people in these cities on this particular day. And here's what he says. In Matthew chapter 11, Gospel of Matthew's first book in the New Testament, chapter 11, starting in verse 20, it says, And Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. Okay, so he's been doing all these miracles and they just continue not to repent and turn to God. He says this, What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, these two cities were Phoenician cities. They were not Jewish cities. They were, they were really pagan, wicked cities. I mean, the things they were involved in were you know, immoral and just wicked. And he's saying, if the things that were done in you Jewish cities that I've spent most of my ministry, most of the miracles that I've done, if they would have been done in this wicked, these two wicked cities over here, Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, now here's what he says. Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. They're going to be better off when it comes to judgment than you guys. Keeps going. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, this is a place in the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, these were towns that were involved in such wickedness. I mean, there was so much stuff going on there that God eventually says, I, I, I got to destroy the city. It's so wicked. I've got, and he destroyed the city by fire. And he's telling us, said, if, if we're, the things that were done for you would have been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. It wouldn't have been destroyed. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. You Jewish towns that I've spent the majority of my time in teaching and, and ministry and miracles, you're going to be worse off than these towns that were wicked and immoral. You're going to receive a stricter, more severe judgment than these places that weren't Jewish places. They were non-believing, wicked, immoral places. What he's saying is, You'll be judged according to the degree of light that you have, how much you know, how much, how ex exposed were you to the truth. And when it talks about that, that they, you know, you didn't repent, you didn't, these towns, it, weren't, it wasn't like they were, you know, uh, persecuting Jesus. It wasn't like they were running him out of town. It wasn't even like they were ridiculing him. You know what they were guilty of? Ignoring him. Oh, yeah, whatever. No big deal. Just ignore him. Ignore him. And he says, yeah, well, there's coming a day when you will be judged. And it will be so much more severe because you were exposed to so much more than these other cities and these other towns. And if I had done, if I had done even half of these things in those towns, they would have repented they would have turned to God. But you didn't. 
He's saying we'll be judged on how much we know, the degree of light that we have. You know, people ask me periodically, well, what about people that, that they, they've never heard? They don't know anything about, you know, the, the gospel message. Or maybe they've only heard once or twice. I mean, how's God going to judge them? And what you've got to understand is that God is just. God is fair as part of who he is and part of being a just God is that he takes into account all of those kinds of things. He takes into account how much a person knows or how much exposure that person had to the gospel. But here's what you got to understand. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks in, in Romans chapter one and he talks about that God has made himself known since the creation of the world, he has made himself known to every generation, everywhere throughout the world, to such degree that they are without excuse. Like there could never be anybody that would stand before the, the, the great white throne and say, but I didn't know. No one ever told me. I never heard. Any, I never had any way of knowing about God. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. God has made himself available, has made himself known in such a way that no person would ever be able to stand there and say, I never knew. We'll be judged on the degree of light, how much we knew, how much opportunity we had to respond. So here's an ominous question, really. What does that say or mean for us in America? You know, people jokingly say, you know, church on every corner around in America. That may be a joke, but that's pretty much true. We're exposed to the gospel. We're exposed to God. We're exposed to Jesus year round in America. We may be the most accountable nation that's ever existed in the history of the world. And so just know, I, okay, just, just understand that, that if you're here and you, and you continue and you've heard many times, gospel and you just continue to say for whatever reason no I don't want it no I don't want it no I don't need it no I don't need it I don't care I don't care I don't want it. I don't want it. just know that part of that judgment will be based on how much you know and how much opportunity you had to respond to what you know the degree of light the second aspect of how a person will be judged the end is the nature of sin the nature of sin, not, not just does a person sin, but what kind of sin? What were they involved in? What was the nature of their sin? Uh, again, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking to them about certain religious leaders and how they lived their lives and to watch out for them. And here's what he said. He said this in the gospel of Luke chapter 20, verses 45 through 47. He said, then with the crowds listening, he turned to his disciples and said, beware of these teachers of religious law. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. See, Jesus says that God has taken into account not just sin, but the nature of sin. And these, these religious leaders, they, you know, they would prey on these widows who didn't have much standing in the community. They didn't have much recourse in the community, but they would, 
They would prey on their kindness, their sympathy, and they would extract these large sums of money that they would call temple donations, yet they'd never lift a finger to help any of these widows in their times of need. There's another occasion when Jesus says, you know, you Pharisees, you put all these heavy weights and burdens on these people that you yourselves are not willing to live under, nor are you willing to lift a finger to help those that you're requiring to live under. So Jesus says, there are things that God looks at and says, I'm going to judge even more strict than any other, any other sin. Things like inauthentic living, when you pretend to be something that you're not, he said, I'm going to judge that. These leaders, they're going to stand up and they're going to pray all these long prayers to show how spiritual I am. Everybody's like, oh, what a great prayer. What a long prayer. I just want to be a spiritual to that person. And yet you're cheating these widows. That inauthenticity, I'm going to judge that. That's going to be judged strict. Taking advantage of weaker people. You see that over and over again where God says that will be judged severely. That will be judged more strictly. In other words, there are certain things that God says, when you read the scripture, there are certain places where God actually says, I abhor that, I hate that. There are certain sins that will be judged more strictly than other sins. Now you may have grown up like me, and maybe you heard this growing up, that all sin is the same. You ever heard that? All sin is the same, you probably said it at some point, didn't you? All sin is the same, and to the degree that, it doesn't matter what sin, one sin, any sin, put you in the category of being a sinner, okay? So it doesn't matter what it was, telling a lie or killing somebody, you're a sinner, all right? In that respect, all sin, one sin of any sin makes you a sinner. You're equals to breaking all the sin, breaking all the laws, okay? But saying that and saying that all sin is the same are two different things. Because the truth of scripture is that all sin is not the same. It's not the same in my house, is it in yours? I mean, there's certain things growing up that I look at the kids and I'm like, hey, hey, don't, don't stop, don't do it again, stop. The other things I'm like, let's go, let's go. Uh -uh, we ain't putting up with that, let's go. Now that's probably just my house, yours is a lot better than mine. But there are certain things that was gonna require a more strict sentencing than other things, right? It's not the same with God either. As I said, you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are certain things that God says, I hate, I abhor. Those things are gonna be more strictly judged. There were certain things in the Old Testament, they were under the sacrificial law. There were certain sins that they would have to sacrifice more stuff for than other sins. There were certain things that God, the judgment came, immediate death. God does not look at all sin as the same. There are certain sins that God looks at and says, that is so much worse than this over here. And because God is just and because God is fair, God will take all of those things into account at the time of judgment. And some of those things will be so strictly judged that it will determine what kind of existence you have and wherever it is that you're going. And so the good news is God is a fair God. God is a just God. And he will take those things into account so that the person that's a serial killer is not judged the same as the person who is a good person who just never could receive Christ as their savior. 
God takes all of those things into account. And it determines what the experience will be like in eternity. The degree of light, the nature of your sin, and the A stands for the attitude of your heart. The attitude of your heart. When you have a heart that says, I don't care, and you continue to be stubborn, you continue to say out of arrogance, I don't need it, I'm fine, I don't need it, I don't need it. Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2, that stubborn heart, that unrepentant heart. And here's what he says. Romans chapter 2, he says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Again, we see this language that God is going to give according to what you've done. God is going to look at your deeds and you're going to be judged according to what you've done. And he says, listen, some of you are so stubborn. Your arrogance and your stubbornness of heart, you say, I don't have to do that. I don't need it. I'm good. He says, you're storing up wrath because you're looking at God and you're saying, I understand the gift that you gave and I don't care. I don't need it. You can keep that gift. And the indication is that the wrath of God is being stored up on that day of judgment, on the day of God's wrath and just burst upon those in their arrogance and their stubbornness said, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to repent. So it's not just about did you sin or how much did you sin? It's about the attitude of your heart that says, I don't care. I don't need it. I'm fine. Great white throne judgment. Your name's not found in the book of life. And you'll be judged on the degree of light, on the nature of your sin, and the attitude of your heart. And not everyone who's thrown into the lake of fire or is thrown into hell will experience the same thing. It'll be different because God is just. And God is fair. And I understand. When I do a, a message like this, I'm sure it brings up so many questions. I, I wish I could have, you know, pictures. Okay, and here's this, and here's this next category. I, I, I wish I had a video presentation. Just watch this video. That would be so much easier. It brings up questions that the Bible doesn't answer. I wish I could answer your questions. I wish I could answer all my questions. But the indication from Scripture is one of bad news, good news, great news. The bad news, all of us must give an account for our lives. We'll all have to give an account. We'll all be judged for our lives. We have to give an account. How faithfully or unfaithfully do we live? Good or bad, we have to give an account. The good news is that God is fair and just. That God will take all of those things into account in his judgment. He's not unfair with those things. He's fair and just. And the great news is that hell is avoidable. There's not one person in this room that has to go to hell. Not one person. It is absolutely avoidable. And the way to avoid it is so clear. It's been given. No one has to go there. That's great news. Now, again, you might sit back and go, well, why did hell even have to be in existence? (laughs) 
I mean, why couldn't God just forgive? Why did we even have to have a hell? I think those are decent questions. I'll try to give you a couple of final thoughts about why hell even exists. Number one, hell is an extension of man's freedom. You see, God, in his goodness, has given every one of us the opportunity to choose, the freedom to choose. No one is forced to have to serve God, love God. He's given you the freedom. You can choose him, you can love him, you can serve him or not. It's your choice. And God is not going to break that deal when it comes to eternity. God will not force anyone to spend eternity with him when they have chosen all of their life not to want to spend time with him. He's not going to then get to eternity and go, okay, I know you didn't choose me. You didn't want to, you know, love me. You didn't want to serve me. You didn't want to choose me on earth. But now I'm going to force you to choose me for eternity. No. Hell is just God's way of saying, I'm going to give you what you want. Hell is where God is not. And so he's going to honor our choice. If we've chosen not to be with him, we've chosen not to spend time or love him. He's going to honor that for eternity. He's not going to force anyone to spend eternity with him that didn't want to spend their time with him. It's an extension of the freedom that God has given to each of us. And I know the question gets asked, well, why, you know, how can a good God, why would a good God send anybody to hell? I mean, why would a good God send people to hell? I would tell you that I don't think God sends anybody to hell. I mean, how can you say someone sent somebody to hell when there's many opportunities to choose otherwise that he's given? I think the, I think the, uh, the better question is, why would, I mean, would a good God force people to spend eternity with him when they freely chosen not to? I mean, if God is good, is a good God going to force people? I know you didn't choose me, but now I'm forcing you. Is it really good when you force somebody? I think the better question or the best question is why would anyone reject such a loving God? Why? When you think about what God was willing to do to send his son to die in our place, out of his love and still give you a choice. He didn't say, I'm gonna allow my son to die and now I'm gonna force everybody. He said, my son died for you and you can choose to love him or not. How does anyone reject the greatest offer that's ever been made? Well, hell is an extension in some ways of man's freedom. But the second thing about hell, it's really an extension of God's justice and his fairness. It's really an extension of who God is, that God is committed to justice, he's committed to fairness. And people might ask, well, when will God ever do something? Where's the justice in this world? Why does all the evil and injustice, why is it allowed to take place all the time? When will God ever do something about this? And the very next breath, we say, why would God have a hell that people would spend eternity in? 
And, and the answer to the first question is really in the second one. That God's answer and the, really the byproduct of all the evil and injustice in the world is a place called hell. That is God's answer to dealing with all the injustice, all the evil that's taking place all the time in the world. That's his answer. You know, it was interesting, um, a few weeks ago, um, my wife Trina and I and our daughter Shayla, uh, she had a volleyball tournament in Las Vegas. And so um, we were out there, getting, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we were out there, uh, I don't even know how to do that. Uh, uh, I, I do not know how, I, if somebody understands craps, I'd love to know how they do that. I don't understand a bit of it and it just is mind blowing to me, but that's a different subject. But anyway, um, um, but, but volleyball tournament. So we, we were there for the weekend and we uh, Uber was, got Uber to take us back to the airport. And so, you know, we Ubered everywhere we went. And of course, when it's me with my wife and daughter, they're in the back and I'm always sitting up there with the Uber driver. And so it seems like Uber driver and I always had conversations going on um, about any number of things. And so um, this guy that was taking us to the airport, he, he's looking at me and he said, what does MPPA stand for that I have tattooed here? And, uh, and so I began telling him, no perfect people allowed. And, uh, and so he's like, well, what, what do you mean? No perfect people. You don't just allow no perfect people around you. And I said, well, no, our, our, I'm part of a Christian church. And, and, um, and that's kind of our motto at our church that no perfect people allowed. He starts laughing. He's like, so, so like, you know, they don't have perfect people in there. I said, no, that's why they let me go there, you know? And, and, uh, and he's laughing. He says, so anybody can come. And I'm like, well, unless you're perfect then you can't come, you know? And, uh, and so we're, you know, we're laughing and carrying on. And, and then he begins asking me things about God and it leads into just an opportunity to share the gospel with him as we're riding to the airport. And it was, a, it was a fun conversation. It was a good conversation. But at some point he asked me, why can't God just forgive? I mean, why can't God just kind of look and say, it's okay. Everybody's just forgiven. Don't have to go to hell. Everybody can just be forgiven. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe that's a question you have. Let me, let me flip it on you a little bit. How, if someone does something to you or, or to your family, and I don't mean, you know, something trivial. I mean something that was devastating to you or to your family. How would you feel if somebody looked at you and said, well, why don't you just forgive? I mean, why, why, why do they have to be held accountable for that? Now, you might, you might eventually get to a place where you can forgive, but you still want somebody to pay. You still want justice to be served. You still want that person to be held accountable. It's interesting how we wouldn't expect God to be that way. How we would just say, God, you just let everybody off the hook. No big deal. Nobody needs to be held accountable. Let everybody off the hook. But God is a God of love and of grace and of mercy, but he's also a holy God and a just God. 
and his fairness and his justice will be served at some point. And part of the byproduct of that is that the reality of hell is there for those who just never want to come to him and say, I surrender my heart to you. And you know what? That's not very American. Not very logical. I mean, in America, you know, nobody has to pay forever. Everybody can get off the hook. Everybody looks for a loophole. You can always slide in the side door somewhere. Doesn't seem logical. Doesn't seem very American. I wish I didn't talk about, have to talk about it. I wish, I wish there wasn't a hell. I, I wish that no one ever had to go there. But as illogical, as un-American, as non-PC as it might be in the 21st century, I have to believe in the reality of it because Jesus did. And I know that he did because he taught on hell more than he taught on love or heaven. And he died so that none of us would have to go there. And he came back to life to prove that he had the authority to keep us from going there. So I have to talk about it because he believed so strongly in it. And you know what? The bad news is that God is fair and God is just and God has to punish sin and evil in the world. But the good news is that God is also merciful and a God of grace and a God of love. And he's provided payment for our sin. And the great news is that none of us have to go to hell. We can freely choose the payment that's already been made for us. And we can spend eternity with God in heaven and never have to come close to going to hell. Will we be held accountable for the way we live? Yeah. Will we have to pay for our sins? No. It's already been paid for. All you have to do is choose it. So how will you choose? Let me pray for us, okay? As you sit here today, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. I, If what I talked about today, if there's even a remote possibility that what I talked about is true, why would you not surrender your heart to Jesus as your Savior today? You might say, well, I don't think I believe all that. Well, are you so confident in that that you're willing to gamble with your eternity? Are you willing to roll the dice on your eternity 
because of what you think or what you say you believe as opposed to what Jesus claims and what he died for. I would think if if hell is even a remote possibility, the offer that Jesus makes, it's such an incredible, incredible offer because it's not just heaven when you die. It's abundant living today. It's peace that surrounds your heart when all hell breaks loose in your life. It's a sense of rest. It's joy that can be in your life knowing that God is with you every moment. Jesus doesn't just promise eternal life someday. He promises abundant life today. And my hope and my prayer is that in this moment you would say yes to him and yes to the offer that he makes and it's just a simple prayer and and again prayer is just our way of expressing what we desire to God and you could just pray something very simple like Jesus I know that you died for my sin and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for providing a home in heaven for me someday. And thank you for providing abundant life for me today. Help me to live each day for you. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that prayed that prayer, I pray that in this moment right now, that they would sense a burden being lifted off of their heart. They would be flooded with a sense of joy and a sense of peace, of knowing that this in-game question about what happens when I die, that it's settled because you tell us we can know beyond any doubt where we will be when our life ends here. And as Christ followers, we know based on what we believe that we will spend eternity with you. So God, I pray that you would just help anyone who's received you into their heart today, that that would be locked in, that they would know that they know that they know that you are their Savior. God, I pray that you would help all of us as Christ followers to live our lives in a way that honors you and makes much of you, knowing that our days are short before we'll be standing before you. And that our our goal is to live for an audience of just one. For you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I pray that we would live that way each day. Thank you so much for loving us, for providing a way to not have to face the horrors of hell. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.